Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Alexi Lauschkin, a member on the vestry and a member of Corpus Christi Anglican. Glad to be with you this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, as we go through these texts this morning, wherever we are, Spirit, come meet us in our weakness, that your Son might be more revealed in our hearts and in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text this morning takes us from Kings to the Psalms, Romans, and Matthew 13. And the first Kings 3 text is a pretty famous text. How many of you have heard it in Bible school or Bible, you know, Sunday school growing up? Did you hear this text? And if you were like me, perhaps you heard it as um, maybe a bit of a model of what to pray when you're young. Solomon himself is young. And he prays not for wealth and not for riches, but for wisdom. And he writes, says the uh, Hebrew bishop Wright for this, is that um, he would have, Solomon asked for a, a soft heart, a discerning heart before God. What a beautiful thing to ask when you're young, and if you're with us and, and young, or young at heart, what a beautiful thing for us to ask that the Lord would give us a soft heart that we might know his ways and we might know his purposes. But this uh, culminating text comes at a long, um, after a, a long period of time in which we are looked at First and Second Samuel about, the, about uh, David's kingship and David and his sons. So I want to start us with a little bit of a contrast here between the culmination of a son who is righteously asking God for what is right and Absalom, whom David had a very troubled relationship with. Absalom, you may have known this story. Um, it may remind you of headlines that you, we see daily in Washington from the Washington Post, <laughs> right? Of betrayal, of people seeking power, of people not regarding their fathers. Absalom's story is a story of ambition. And into this contrast, we have Solomon. Solomon in his early years, who, are ask, who is asking God for wisdom. So if we get into the text, it says, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statue of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And so commentators will say that what's happening here is Solomon is showing that he's going to the high places to worship God. So this is where you see uh, this within the text. And we hear that the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord uh, sometimes is appearing in a voice. We've heard that. Sometimes he's appearing um, from uh, an angel or a messenger from God. And here we get uh, the Lord appearing to Solomon in a dream. Ask what I shall give to you, the Lord said. And Solomon says, 
You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness. So Solomon's reply is immediately to praise God for his steadfastness. And you have kept him from, uh, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go or come in. Perhaps we can identify this in our prayers when we say, Lord, I don't know what's happening. I'm not fit for the time ahead. I don't know if you're going to be present for me in this week. I have a big request for you, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And this is Solomon's request. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you've chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, as N.T. Wright was saying, a discerning heart. Who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon asks for wisdom. Not just wisdom, but a clear sense of God's direction. And this is how Solomon starts his life. It's not how he will end his life, but it is how he starts his life. So I want us to move into Matthew for a moment, these great parables of Jesus. And in the Matthew text, what we find is a, is a series of parables. The kingdom is heaven is like, is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is, of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a net in our reading. So four areas. We have mustard seed. We have treasure hidden in a field. We have pearls and like a net. It's an interesting set of things to say about the kingdom of heaven. What are these things? Um, How are we to interpret the smallness of the kingdom of God. And I want to uh, kind of back into the text by giving you um, some realities as it relates to power. So part of my work in the world is to work in, in, the, place, in, in, the, in the place of public affairs. So I get a chance to meet a lot of representatives. I get a chance to meet a lot of people who work and seek after power. I get a chance to be close to people who are like Absalom, seeking first to overthrow their father or the powers that be for their own reward. And it's interesting that um, the kingdom of heaven, the, the principles of Christ, really are contained, I would say, within his life and ministry, within the way he stewards power. So Jesus will say, "Those who, if you seek to be great, the greatest among you, be a servant. Be a servant. If you seek to lead, wash the feet of those who will even betray you. Jesus also is dealing with the betrayal that King David has dealt with. And he deals with our betrayal as well on a very personal basis. And Jesus in his ministry is showing by example and in his life and in his parables how many parables 
of Christ have someone who is in need who is trying to get his attention, right? Trying to touch the hem of his garment. Someone asking him a question. Little children coming to him. Jesus gives us the example that no matter how busy is the Son of God, no matter how many things or how many people that he has to talk to that day, no matter what his tiredness, he always leaves himself open to be inconvenienced at the most fundamental level. He is open to, be, to being inconvenienced. The Absaloms of the world are not so. <laughs> they are not open to being inconvenienced. Many of our policymakers, some are good and godly, but many are not open to being inconvenienced. We ourselves are often not open as children of Christ to being inconvenienced. And so when King Solomon is asking the Lord for discernment of heart, Lord, give me an open and soft heart to discern your will, part of what he's asking for that he doesn't realize is fulfilled in the parables of Jesus. The willingness to be inconvenienced. The willingness, hence these parables are always moving into the small beginnings, the small mustard seed. What is this about? The small mustard seed. What is this about? The small pearl. What is this about? The net. All of these pieces show the glory of having a life that is fully opened to all the purposes of God within our life. This is a challenge for us. One, because we have to then go into Romans 8. The Spirit helps us know our weakness. It is impossible and very difficult for us to do all these things, to be open to the small things of life, to be open to the inconvenience, to be open to slow down. And this is not necessarily a a teaching about um, how we need to do more. That's not really the point of, of... the gospel either what's being pointed out is the small details one measure of uh, the cry of our hearts Lord have mercy on me a sinner is are we open to the inconvenience I um, saw earlier this week I was at Asbury Theological Seminary and I was next to a Dominican priest and we were about to go in just to give you an example we were about to go into a full three days two days of dialogue and to discuss how we understand each other to be Christians. And suddenly we heard a honk, honk, honk. Lady says, Father, Father, do you have a moment? Here we are in the middle of rural Kentucky. It's kind of an unusual thing to be honked at. There's not a lot of people around. The father comes over and the priest could have done one of two things. He could have said, I'm so sorry, I've got important things to do. I've traveled all this way. I'm sorry. Here's my card. Reach out to me later. I'm about to go into an important meeting. Instead, what he did is he held up the whole dialogue for a good 25 minutes (laughs) while he ministered to this woman. And it turns out her mother was in the hospital. And what she really wanted to do, as I was able to overhear is process her grief of feeling wronged in life. And the priest kept telling her, don't make your relationships with your family about the money. Make it about the actual relationship, because that's far, a far greater worth than the grievances that you have. 
And this, in many ways, gets back to the parables of the kingdom of God. It's the small things. It's the pearl of great price. It's a displacement of our heart priorities back to the most basic gifts of life, life itself, the gifts of family. To be able to forgive how many times? Seven times, 70 times. That's a lot of times of forgiveness, especially if you're dealing with family. How hard is it? How hard is it? How many wrongs often come from family relationships? And yet Jesus' teachings are that we are to clean, clean the inside of our heart. To clean the inside of our heart um, as someone that um, I have gotten to know over the last few years, another Catholic, Kiara Lubick, will say, uh, it's important in our relationships, she has this basic phrase, start again. Let's start again between you and I. And that's a process of reconciliation. That's a process of the softness of God, the softness of Christ, to make ourselves available to the things that are ultimately lasting. And this is not, a, uh, again, a, a sermon about moral excellence or trying harder. Let's open up to Romans 8 here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When are we more weak than trying to say, I'm sorry? <laughs> when are we more weak than to admit our wrongs? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Well, that's the truth. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The kingdom of God's disposition to each of us, no matter what our weeks were like, is a groaning and a longing that we would be children in the model of Christ. That Christ would be born in our hearts. That this love that he has for us would cause us to have fresh eyes as it relates to the sins that bedevil us, as it relates to the conflicts that often envelop us. And these fresh eyes, think of the longing that Jesus has for his work to be done in your life. Not again as a kind of do more, try harder, but as a slow down and see what the Lord has for you in this week ahead, in this day-to-day -day life. And this is not a particularly easy thing to do. It is easy... Instead, when you are in a position of power and you've gained power quickly, which Solomon has done and will do, his story and his kingship is one of success upon success. He gets to do what everyone has longed to do, build a temple for the Lord. He gets to inherit wealth. He gets to um, have his will be done and unobstructed. And I will say, as someone who has met Policymakers who gain power very quickly, who, gain, who are very successful, very bright, very talented, and I don't mean national figures, I mean state and local figures as well. It's hard when you've had a great deal of success to choose that which is more lasting, to slow down, to not make yourself at the most basic level the center of attention, to not center your priorities. But this way that Jesus is talking about, and I'll get us back into the parables, is actually the way of the easy yoke. This is actually the way of the possibility to live life that is balanced, 
anchored and rooted in the fruits of the Spirit. This seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this small treasures and small beginnings, all of these things let us say with the Apostle Paul that I've learned the secret of being content, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing, that Christ has been born in me. I've learned that secret of contentment, that through the troubles and travails of life, Jesus is my anchor. So much of preaching around the kingdom of God is a, is a preaching that often sounds like if you do the right things and you try really hard, God will bless you. God's blessing is around the corner if you do the right things and try very hard. But the secret of the kingdom is God will be present with you through the troubles and travails of life. That what you will inherit will be of more lasting value than if you were to pursue unfettered success. Solomon's life is a tale of contrast. Solomon is the beginning of the end of the, the breaking up of the children of Israel and, and the sin that flows from them. Jesus, in contrast, is the beginning of everlasting life and everlasting fruits. Christians throughout multiple cultures and throughout multiple times of the life of the earth living and having an internal inheritance that doesn't fade. During Pentecost uh, Sunday at our church, at Corpus Christi, we were reminded and we were asked the question, how many of you know your great-great-grandparents? <laughs> and the, the, the hands diminished. Some knew their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents and their great-great-great-grandparents. But the... the the, the push, uh, what we were reminded of, is as much as our lives are important, inevitably they'll be forgotten at some point by our descendants. And that's to push us into a holy humility. It's to push us into the fear of God being the beginning of wisdom. That what is caught up and what is eternal are the things of Christ. So it's not a nihilism of, um, you know, it, no one will remember you anyways. It's a reorientation that the, the eternal things are really held in Christ. And they're held in Christ for eternity, so we have comfort and security. And so when we get into the parable again, and we'll do a, a closer look here as I come to a close, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. So think of this. A small seed, he takes and plants it in his field. Though it's the smallest when it's tended, when it's sought first after, when the small things are cared for, because a small plant, as those of you who know gardening, requires a lot of work, a lot of tending, a lot of tending for that small plant to become that big tree. But when it does, it becomes so large, it becomes so everlasting, those small things that you do to forgive family so large and so everlasting. Those small things you do to put an end to generational sins that are plaguing you and may plague your children. Those small things you do, those small steps by the grace of Christ become so large that they provide room and shelter for things you couldn't even have imagined. There's a kind of holy excitement and mystery to the kingdom of heaven which we get in the parable of the net. It's full, it says. It was pushed up onto shore. 
they, they sat down and it was a cornucopia of fish <laughs> more than they probably imagined and even thought and then we get some connection to the, the last days and the judgment which are beyond the scope of this homily the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away and sold everything he had and bought it it's incredible sold everything he had is there anything that you have met that you would sell all of your you, know, you cash it all in retirement house all of it for this is not a, a literalism it's supposed to point to the contrast between Absalom and Jesus the contrast would Absalom sell everything he had perhaps to be king not for things that are everlasting he was willing to do whatever it took to displace his father. Whatever it took. And we know people in our own days who pursue profit, wealth, all sorts of things relentlessly. This parable is supposed to say that our pursuit of the kingdom of God, when we've tasted the goodness of God, is like that. It's that powerful. It's that everlasting. It is a pursuit that can fill our hearts. Now, this sounds good and encouraging, but perhaps you are coming here today and you say, well, Alexi, this is all very interesting, but as I sit today, God seems very distant. God, who is going to teach me these things, seems very distant. What do you make of that? And I would say, this is where we go back to Romans. We go back to our knees and we say, Lord, you've made me. You know what will satisfy me. You long for me long than, more than I long for myself. You long for me as a beloved child. Help me, Lord, understand where you are. And trust. We'll have time um, after the Eucharist for prayer. So this is a good time if you would like prayer to bring those prayer needs to your fellow Christians. But trust that the Lord who sometimes is veiled, the Lord who sometimes um, seems at a distance, trust some of the promises that we have, which is darkness is as light to God. So even in our darkest moments, when God seems very distant, we can trust that he is the author and, and the guide, and that he is faithful to the end for all of us, even when we are at a loss for words. So... As I close, Solomon's heart cry, teach me, Lord, a heart that is open to you. At its truest sense is taken up by Christ, who gives us his spirit in Romans to be our guide for that heart cry, and who shows us that the ways of Christ are everlasting, and they often start in small beginnings. Let's pray. Lord, you know all things, and all things are returning to you. Give us a heart that seeks after you this week, and help us to be small for the inconvenient things that you may ask of us this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm -hmm.